But I'm just going to pray over us. Father, right now, just give us hearts that are receptive to your spirit, what your spirit wants to say. Father, I thank you, Lord. I just pray for your anointing upon Amy now as she brings what you have put on her heart. May it bear much, much fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you. So this all came about um, when we were worshipping, I don't know if you can remember back to Sunday, the 24th of September, and (laughs) it was a bit of a while ago, and I came to the front and I was basically blubbing and tears were streaming down my face, Um, and I I can't even remember what I was speaking now, but I kind of spoke into the mic a little bit, and I was so in awe that day of God, and the presence of God I just felt was so strong that he gave me some words at the time. And there were, there were, these words were so impressed upon me. And in my emotive state, I wasn't doing a good job of conveying them um, as well as I could have done. So Sunday passed, as did Monday, and these words just continued to stay with me. And it was like they were burning within me, growing since an ember on that Sunday, igniting this fire within my spirit that just wanted to get these words out. As Steve said, I woke in the middle of the night and they just kept going round and round and round in my head. And you know, it's like you're thinking, God, I just want to go to sleep, turn over. Um, And I was like, and they kept coming and coming. I was like, all right, God, I'll get up, I'll do it in the morning. Ever done that? I'll write it down in the morning, God. You know, just please let me sleep. So I kept rolling over. And in the end, I was like, all right, God. I'll get up. And I kind of felt God smile and say, yes, I've got your attention. So I got up and I started to write it down. And um, as I was kind of sitting there before God, he gave me the scripture, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, which says, if I say I will not remember him or speak his name anymore, then my heart becomes a burning fire, shuts up in my bones, and I'm weary of enduring and holding it in. I cannot endure it nor contain it any longer. Jeremiah felt compelled by God to share what God had told him, and it felt just like that. This burning within me to write down what God had laid on my heart. So I'm sitting there in the middle of the night, writing it all down, and I thought that would be the end of it. I'm like, right, I've wrote it all down. That's it. It's all good. It's all gone. But it kept burning away at me. Um, And I was thinking, maybe I should tell Stephen Rob, maybe they'll email it out. And you think, then, you know, doubt comes in, doesn't it? Ever had that? No, it's just me. No, it's just me. No, no, it's fine. And it took me about five days to send Rob and Steve this email. And Steve came back and said, yeah, that's great. Pray about it. I'll pray about it. And I was like, brilliant. Leave it with him. Great. And heard no more about it. So now I'm just going to share a little bit of an image with you. So standing here doing this to me is a bit like when you go on a roller coaster. So at the start, you're waiting in the queue, you're feeling really nervous, you're a bit anxious, your stomach's turning. And then when you're on the ride, you're kind of, you're not sure whether you're excited or absolutely terrified. And then when you get off, it's like, yeah, that was quite a buzz, I want to do that again. (laughs) So as soon as you're kind of like, you're on the ride and like, so time was ticking by. Hold that thought for a minute, time was ticking by. Um, And then I was at Academy, I don't know if many of you know, but I started Academy this year. And I was at Academy last weekend with Rachel and Carolyn. Uh, I need a drink, sorry. (laughs) Just bear with me. 
So I was sharing in the group with Rachel and Carolyn about how amazing it would be if, as individuals, especially as women, that we let go of our insecurities and our fears and what, you know, what we think about, what people think about us, and if we just stepped into everything that God's got for us. So I'm sharing this in the group saying, you know, we just need to let go of us, really. We just need to get over ourselves and get on with what God's asked us to do. So then I got home from Academy that night to this email from Steve saying, Amy, would you preach this word? And my immediate thought was not after I'd got off the ride of the roller coaster, but when you're standing in the queue. Um, so my stomach was doing somersaults and I was feeling nervous and I was like, oh. And then God reminded me of what I said in that group. And I was like, you know, Amy, you've got to literally practice what you preach. You know, you can't say to people, we've got to get over our stuff if you're not willing to do it yourself. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I took this big gulp and thought, okay, let's do this. So I've put together what I felt God was saying under three headings. So the headings are his name, his timing, and his hope. Because that's how he seemed to say it. And the song we've just sung was amazing because it just fitted in so well with everything God's given me. So the first thing is his name. And sometimes I think we use his name so lightly at times. We'll often come to prayer meetings and, um, or we come before him ourselves with our list of requests as we do, da da da, da and we give our prayers to God, and at the end we go, in Jesus' name. A bit like it's routine, it's just how we do it, it's like part of the recipe, the puzzle, the last piece. You know, when we put together a packed lunch, we make up the sandwich, we add the fruit maybe, some other snack, and then we finally add the drink and it's all done. It's ready to go. And sometimes I feel we add in Jesus' name because it's the last part of the recipe. It's the ingredient because we know that's the bit that makes it all work. And I feel like we need to have a reminder of the power of that name, of the authority behind it, the awesomeness of it, and the greatness and the majesty of it. God reminded me of the story of the healing of the lame beggar in Acts 3, 1 to 10. Now, here's a lame man who every day, for years and years and years, had been carried to this place outside the temple gates to be placed on the floor in order to beg as people passed. That particular day, he asked the disciples, Peter and John, for some loose change. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, walk. And we are told of his healing. Peter knew the power of that name. He knew that when he used his name, he was calling down the power from heaven, and he had the confidence in that power to know it would make a difference. He realised the power of his name. Maybe we need to say sorry for the times we've used his name lightly. Isaiah acknowledged he was a man of unclean lips. We read in chapter 6 of Isaiah, verses 5 to 6, that an angel came and cleansed his lips with burning coal. Praise God for Jesus. We don't need to wipe our lips with burning coal. We can simply say, sorry, and he forgives us. The best picture for me that captures the majesty of God is in Revelation chapter 5, and Steve read it last week, so I'm not going to do it again. But it talks about no one in heaven and earth or under the earth being found worthy to open the book with the seven seals, and how John began to sob uncontrollably until an elder says, look, 
the lion from the tribe of Judah, has overcome. He can open the book. How awesome. This isn't the baby in the manger that we talk about at Christmas. This is the lion, the awesome, majestic, powerful conqueror. And Revelation 5 goes on to say that all of heaven then worshipped him. I mean, wow. We're not talking about, you know, 10, 20 people. We're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands, millions of people worshipping God. Could you imagine how that feels? This is Almighty God. This is the one we're serving. Maybe we've used his name and in not recognising his power, we have not believed deep down that anything's going to change. Jesus himself came across this in Mark chapter 9 when the father of a boy with epilepsy asked Jesus to heal his son if he can. To which Jesus responds by saying, with God, all things are possible. And the man says, I do believe, help my unbelief. God himself knows that we are capable in our humanity of doubt, which is why he also says in Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So as long as we have even the smallest amount of faith, that's all we need. In our group recently, in our cell group, we shared, somebody gave out a mustard seed on a piece of paper. I don't know if you've ever seen one, it's the tiniest thing. You know, the tiniest of things. And we need just faith that small. That said, if we want our faith to grow, we all know how faith grows. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's Romans 10, 17. The second point I want to make is about his timing. So here I feel like God was recognising all those prayers that people have prayed for years and years, but where people have still not seen an answer. God reminded me of some amazing people in the Bible who had to wait it out with God. Job went through so much. He lost his animals, servants, and all of his seven children. Oh, and just to top it all off, he was hit with an illness too. Job went through an incredible amount of suffering, and just like Jesus, He even had a moment where he felt God had deserted him during his suffering. How often, when we go through long periods of trials and testing and feel like there's no let up, we wonder if it will ever end. We feel like God has deserted us. When Joseph was stuck in a prison for at least two years for a crime he didn't commit, he must have had times when he wondered why God hadn't got him out of there. I'm sure he would have had times when he felt his suffering was unfair and unjust and times when he couldn't see an end to his suffering. We all know the ending for both of those characters. Job went on to have another seven children and was blessed with greater numbers of livestock than he had had previously. The Bible tells us that the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Joseph ended up being released from prison and was the king's second in command over all of Egypt. He was adorned in fine clothes, jewellery and wealth. What we can see in both of these situations is the end of the story. When we go through trials and testing, we don't see God's timing. We'll see he'll bring about good from our situations. Romans 8.28 says exactly that. And we know that in all things God works for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. 
So you might ask, why did Job have to lose what he did? And why did Joseph have to stay in prison? Well, we could discuss that, but the point I'm making is we could ask the same question. Why do we have to go through things in our own lives? I don't have all the answers, and I can't explain everything. The point is that it's about God's plan and God's timing. At the right time, God will bring you through whatever it is you're going through. And in the meantime, hold on. And instead, don't ask, why am I going through this? But instead, what is God teaching me through this time? I'm going to read that again. When you're going through something, hold on. And instead, don't ask, why am I going through this? But instead... What is God teaching me through this time? What is God showing me about his character and what he wants to do with me during this time of trial? How often do we do that? And this time, when you're going through it, you will look back and see that God had a plan for it all. It might not happen straight away, but I know from experience so many times I've looked back on my own life and seeing what God has done in the very many trials I've had, and the situations, and it's changed something about me to make me more like him. Second, the, th- <clears throat> the last point I want to make is his hope. When we go through hard times, it can be easy to lose hope that anything will change. If you've lived with something for a long time, discouragement can slip in and hope can be lost. I just want to make a point here. Many of you know I walk with this. There's a reason I have a rainbow on my crutch. Because that is my promise of God's healing for me. And it's deliberately there. Now whether I get that in this life or the next, I don't know. But I believe it's going to happen. You know, it's hard sometimes to think that God's going to change when you've lived with something for a long time. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but longing fulfilled is a tree of life. My mum isn't a Christian. Bless her. She's very anti-God. When I first became a Christian, I was around about 19, 20, yesterday. (laughs) Um, And I distinctly remember saying to me, when I told her I'd become a Christian, that's fine, that's what you choose to do, that's fine, don't ever preach to me, don't you ever, ever preach to me, I don't you want you Bible bashing me, what you want to do is fine, it's up to you, just don't hit me with it. So I don't know if she thought I was going to physically hit her with a Bible, or if she thought I was instantly going to become Billy Graham, um, neither happened, but in all the years I've been praying for her, um, we're now in over 20, she's still not Christian. But I have seen God do amazing things with her. At one point, she wouldn't even come in the door of a Christian bookshop with me. She was adamant she wouldn't go in, she wouldn't go in. And then I watched gently. She'd come in through the door. Then she'd come in and she'd sit down in the chair while I'm browsing through the shop. And there's Christian music playing. She'd never let me put it on in the car. Couldn't even put my Christian music on at all. And she'd sit in, in the bookshop, listening to worship music. And that might seem not very huge, but for God to do that was incredible. She's attended carol services, 
Easter services, Christmas services, lots of things. So God's at work. I hear her make comments about God being there and her praying and asking God to do things, which is all incredible stuff. It's little steps, and I'm continuing to pray. And I have this hope that one day she will come to know him for herself in his time. I've discovered on my journey that there are many different reasons why God makes us wait. It may be because he's developing our character. We learn to develop patience. Anybody need more of that? For me, it's been really hard at times to have known God's calling on my life, to see particular areas of ministry where I just knew I had to serve, and yet I would just never seem to be the one to be asked. Ever had that? You watch someone else doing the very thing you feel called to do, walking into that opportunity that you feel should be yours. Maybe it's a promotion at work that you feel you should have had and it was given to that one person in the office who you really struggle to get along with. I can look back over my life now and know if God had placed me in those positions at that time, I wasn't ready My character had not been developed enough. I remember the first time I was asked to lead worship in my old church. For someone who is so self-conscious of her voice, this was a major deal. No matter how many times people said I had a nice voice, I didn't believe it. Anybody else like that? Oh, you've got a lovely voice. No, no, no. So I got up there week after week, made mistakes sometimes, learnt a few things along the way, and eventually... I went on to lead worship in an open-air park, a town centre, and before hundreds of people at various venues. Sometimes it takes time. We have to practice, make mistakes, but in the end, God will do amazing things. He transformed me from being a self-conscious worship leader to a confident one as he changed my character along the way. I was learning. It wasn't about me. It was about him. It wasn't about my accent or the way I spoke or my voice, it sound. It was about the gift he had given me. When God changes our character, you learn to become less proud, more humble, less arrogant, more gracious. Less about self, more about others. Less about taking and more about giving. And so much more. This is character. It might be that God is making us wait on our answers to prayer because he's got something better. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many plans are in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. I remember a friend of mine who applied for a job a few years ago. She thought at the time it was her dream job. It was all she ever wanted. She got down to the final three from around about 150 applicants. And she was turned down. She was totally devastated. She was told it was nothing to do with her qualifications, how she came over at interview, etc., etc. Just that the other candidate they thought would simply fit in better with the organisation. So where do you go with that? She was left wondering if it was her personality that was the problem. She went on to get another job of equal standing with another firm. 
and is now actually promoted and doing really well. After a few months in this new job, she learned that the company that she didn't get the job for went into administration a few weeks after they had turned her down. God had something better for her. She didn't know what was going to happen, but God did. He had something better for her. Sometimes we don't see any answers because we're trying to do something that we're not meant to be doing. King David loved God. He wanted to do his will and he wanted to build a temple for him in Israel. But God said no and that his son Solomon would do it instead. That did not mean that God did not use David. On the contrary, he was the king of Israel. And he defeated the the giant Goliath. And he wrote over half of the book of Psalms. It's just that it wasn't something God wanted him to do. It was for someone else to do. Sometimes we want to do things our own way. Moses was leading the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land, Canaan. It was a pretty straight route and could have taken a few days. But because the Israelites were disobedient to God, it took 40 years. Yet God was still gracious to them. He fed them daily and even ensured that in 40 years, not once did their sandals wear out. Psalm 84.11 says, For the, sun is a, the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we need to make sure we are not like the Israelites and that in all areas of our lives we are living right before God. When we go through periods of waiting on God for answers to prayer, I'm getting hot, excuse me a second, it builds an intimacy with God and a dependency on him. Going through trials and difficulties causes you to grow in your faith and in your trust of God. You learn more about him and his character. When Abraham was told he was going to be a father of many generations at the age of 75, I can only imagine how impossible that would have seemed. When Sarah was way past childbearing age and heard God say she would have a child, I can totally understand why she would laugh. Imagine all those years watching other women around her have child after child, her endless crying out to God in prayer, year upon year upon year, her prayers seemed to go unanswered. She would probably have been mocked by others for not having produced an heir, criticised, rejected. She must have shed many a tear as she prayed for a child. And as time went on and her childbearing years passed, she must have accepted at some point that this was God's will, and yet she ended up having Isaac. Think about Noah, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, and those I've already mentioned, Abraham, Joseph, David. We can read about so many people in the Bible who had to wait on God. And in so doing, they grew closer to him and more dependent on him. There's a picture that does its rounds on social media that says, Joseph waited 13 years. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years. If God is making you wait, you're in good company. Maybe for each one of us, there's been times when we've used God's name without realising the full power of it. Maybe we need to say sorry for the times that we've been disappointed, that God hasn't done the things when we wanted them. 
Maybe there's been times we've lost hope for that healing that we've been praying for for years and years and years on end. Maybe it's that area of ministry that you've longed for, just not happened yet. I just feel God wants us to know he hasn't forgotten and it's in his time. Have you lost hope that your money, relationship situation will change? I really believe God wants to stir up the hope within you to believe God again for his promises. Zechariah 9.12 says, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. This verse says we are prisoners of hope. If you're a prisoner of something, it means you can't escape it. You can't get away from the fact that you have that hope within you. I feel like God wants to remind you, it's there. That hope is in there. It's in you. Even if you can't feel it, even on your darkest days, it's there. And for those of us who know and love God, we have an eternal hope. 1 Peter 1, 3-6 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Let's remember who he is. Let's remember that he is in control. And let's remember that we have an eternal hope. Amen.